0: Welcome everyone to the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello Pete. I'm Mary Poppins y'all
1: here today bringing you Fantastic Geek's impressions of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume
0: 2. Pete, before we jump in there, uh, looking around the uh, the MCU-o-sphere, if that is such a thing, we have two more episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, for this season. Pete, it's Cinco de Mayo. We hope that we may have a fifth season on May 5th, but no news to share quite yet. Probably this time next week, we are finding out. That would be my bet next Friday.
1: Yes, uh, we're, we're waiting with bated breath. We are hopeful, at the same time uh, anxious. So two episodes left. Certainly ratings continue to matter. Uh, watch it, watch it live, watch it often, bring a friend, etc., cetera. Et cetera. Matt, speaking of things we are looking forward to and looking at, we had uh, a a triple drop this week. First, we got the Inhumans poster. Then we got a cast shot. Then we got a teaser with Just Voice uh, Just Today. So we will be bringing you, in addition to Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D., we will be updating the Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek feed a little later on this weekend for discussion on all of that.
0: And, uh, of course, if you listen to us via the the Pop Culture podcast feed, that's uh... – the one size fits all the the gotta catch them all feed it'll have your guardians of the galaxy that you're listening to now it'll have agents of shield it'll have inhumans but wait pete there is more this weekend coming to the puff family of puff podcasts
1: maybe the most anticipated matt we finally got a live look at some defenders action uh we've we've got Uh, All sorts of analysis and looks into what's going on in that footage to talk about. So we'll be updating, bringing to you the first time uh, very shortly, the Defenders podcast by Fantastic Geek for the show that comes all to Netflix on August 18th.
0: Pete, it is going to be so exciting to be talking about Defenders in the next couple days uh, and, of course, watching it this summer, podcasting it this summer. It, it brought a smile to my face in that trailer to see uh, to see Jessica Jones, to see Daredevil, to see Luke Cage, to see that kid with the glowy fist. It's, uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome summer to look forward to uh, as that uh, hits in August. But Pete, let's talk about this movie, this particular focus, this Guardians of the Galaxy sequel. Uh, Where shall we start, Pete?
1: We'll begin, of course, Matt, with uh, a tip to our sponsor uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 today, brought to you by Marmalade Batteries. That's how you say their name when we catch you up on what went down matt let's begin with our overall impressions yeah
0: well pete here's here's where i think i'm going to shock some people my overall impression is uh, that this was a nice outing at the movies but not a great movie and given how great the first movie was this fell beneath my expectations
1: I have to say I am on the other end, Matt. I unabashedly love this movie. I'm not quite sure if it exceeds the first. I've been rolling that around for a little while now, and, and I do go back and forth. But that it's even close for me shows how successful James Gunn and his team has been here in returning to this galaxy of Guardians, to adding to it, and uh, the announcement that he will both write and direct the third volume, which will be coming after um, Infinity War, has me all sorts of giddy.
0: Well, Pete, I'm, I have to say I find it a little interesting that after our prologue, we now have started our plot immediately with some conflict, unlike Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which after its prologue spends a lot of time not having an overall conflict moving the story along. But we'll get there when we get there, Pete. Let me just say, in response to, uh, to the writing of this movie, again, I did not hate this movie. But let me say in response to it that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, having sole writing credit to James Gunn, I would argue that uh, perhaps the missing piece was Nicole Perlman, who co-wrote the original.
1: Well, I'm going to, again, disagree. I think that uh, Gun is the secret sauce here. You could point uh, most clearly to a stronger integration this time around of what Gunn dubbed in an article this week, Mom Rock. Uh, we start in 1980 in Missouri. We've got Brandy not just as a song, Matt, but as a glorified plot point uh, in terms of what – that song and what um, Ego's experience meant with uh, with uh, Meredith Quill, with uh, with Peter's mother. Back then, we of course see him plant the, uh, the seeds of what eventually will be revealed to be his expansion, his reason for being, um, and a, a really interesting use uh, – we were talking afterward of the, the de-aging that we're, we're seeing so often now in these tentpole movies.
0: Yeah, I think the de-aging software which I believe uh I mean we've seen it before in various movies, but I think that the current brand being used uh by Disney is an in-house proprietary thing. Um I think that we saw it used uh nicely enough, very very effectively, quite effectively uh in uh, Civil War. Uh you had Tony Stark looking a little plastic, but it also was was uh, an impressive feat. Uh, less so in Rogue One, but we won't go there. Um, I couldn't I help but notice here, regardless, that for the de-aged Kurt Russell, they kept him moving. They didn't go to a lot of close-ups. There were no static shots. Um, perhaps just kind of finding a happy medium between, we're going to linger and show you 30 years ago, you know, versus would we shoot this guy to show how he looked 30 years ago if we actually had him 30 years ago? No, we would just shoot the scene.
1: Yes, and to pick up from there, it was nice seeing uh, Meredith Quill not dying in a, in a hospital bed without any hair to give a sense of vitality there and, you know, both sides of, of uh, Star-Lord's lineage. But to pick up there with the, with the smash cut 34 years later were actually just months after the 2014 events of the original film.
0: Yeah, and we get that, uh, that opening credit monster battle which uh, certainly was compelling certainly was good fun a nice way to uh, remind us of what the characters could do also give a little update uh, regarding the flying suits gamora now has a gun and uh, a really playful way to to give us the credits where we're watching the the ostensible star of the show in baby groot while a really solid really fantastic well choreographed doubtless uh, expensive effect is going on blurry in the background. The
1: thing that I love about second chapters is the risks that they are able to take, whereas in the first establishing opportunity, you can't do that. I will cite chapter and verse in terms of The Empire Strikes Back. I am uh, an unabashed fan of uh, uh, Indiana Jones uh, in the Temple of Doom. Um, so, you know, I, have taken guff over that. I'm fine doing that. You couldn't open like this in the original, it would not have been the case. And for them to have this huge monster fight and have baby Groot, uh, dancing all over the screen and becoming distracted and nearly falling off the platform and everything else to electric light orchestras, uh, Mr. Blue, Uh, you know, it was really tonally a perfect way to start. Matt, you mentioned before conflict. Let's talk about the conflict. The conflict is intimate in this movie for most of its duration, starting almost from the moment that Peter and Gamora have discussion. What what is up between the two of them now? I thought, you know, swords were your thing, guns were my thing. There's this uncomfortability between the two of them as opposed to where we left off last. We've got Rocket continuing to be an a-hole. Can I say that on this podcast, Matt? Uh, And Drax is Drax, Draxier than ever. But this family that has formed is having growing pains, and I would argue that that is the conflict that drives the film
0: well thank goodness they split up the family in about 20 minutes into the movie (laughs) but i digress um certainly of of the ways in which all the characters have grown since uh since last we saw them drax certainly uh deserves in my mind the the greatest highlight of all the fact that there's now this uh, there's this comfortable side to him being with them, and there's also this humorless sense of humor mm-hmm. that he has is a really, really fun evolution of the character.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing that Gunn maintaining a writing credit in addition to the direction of the two films has carried over. The service that he gives to his character, I, I think if we're going to point out a slight... Uh, Gamora gets the least service to the character. It's clearly not her story, but they're already out in front of that. She is going to be the central focus of volume three.
0: Well, thank goodness. Because if I had one studio note, if I was running the studio, my note would be the female part is underwritten. And if somebody said, but wait, there are three women in this movie, I would say, yes, they equal a female part and it's underwritten. Um, but Pete, that battle ending up to protect the uh, to protect the batteries, which uh, rocket then is going to take, which is going to directly propel things a few scenes later, which will also set up the conclusion of the movie. So, <laughs> you want to credit James Gunn uh, for the good stuff. Well, something that I that I will take umbrage with is a very very kind of tic tac toe approach here to some of the plot elements where. The thing that we start out with is the thing that we deal with in the to propel us through the middle. Uh, pardon me, through the the completion of the first third, we then deal with the effects of that in the second third. And then we conclude it in the third third. All, all from 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 this very very direct line connection to the opening scene.
1: Well, I mean, I would argue there symmetry. It's it's the batteries that the interdimensional. Monster is trying to feed off rocket steals some batteries. What does ego want to use his progeny as a battery? So that's what we call a through line. But let's talk about the sovereign and their batteries here, which I think pays off very, very well. Come our uh, one of our five, Matt, count them five post credit scenes. Uh, we have this race of gold skinned. Ah, uh, genetically engineered uh, birth pod people.
0: Yeah, fantastic visual design, particularly since they commit to their gold tone um, in totality. You know, it's not like and they have white headbands to help show the gold or. You know they wear they wear uh, silver clothes to help show off the gold. It's just gold from head to toe down to the gold. They um,
1: like gold. They do like gold.
0: Um, in fact, right now in my head there's the uh, I don't know the, some not the Goldfinger theme, but kind of the uh, some of the score from Goldfinger, as I imagine uh, uh, the sovereigns walking about and whatnot. But very very visually interesting. Uh, a neat. Um, character affect of the species would that be a species affect just yeah. this notion of of um, kind of their desire for purity and their desire for protocol and things of that sort it's a fun bit of sci-fi business
1: I mean we can see the writing that's about to happen the moment that uh, Peter mentions that this species is very easily uh, offended of course that's going to go well when they meet with the uh, the high priestess there, Aisha.
0: Yeah, it's she is a compelling face for the sovereign people. Certainly carries the the dignity and the the arrogance of them, uh, very very nicely. And uh, we we have the wonderful visual element of that throne room, kind of how she's uh, somehow latched latched into the the throne itself, that kind of thing um but uh, the scene of course concluding with the uh, the comedic reveal that uh, rocket has stolen the batteries nonetheless
1: hey you want to buy some batteries um i i happened to be looking earlier in the week at the cast of the great gatsby and who played jordan baker and what do you know uh i was able to put it together wow that's elizabeth debicki who is also uh, Aisha in, uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two. So pretty interesting that, uh, the, the, the two linked up for me like that from there, Matt, I think, again, we come back to this idea and, uh, having read a lot about, um, James Gunn and his, uh, his path to Hollywood and his, uh, his upbringing this week. Uh, This film is very firm in its idea about the family you find versus the family that you feel you need. And uh, we have this ragtag group that came together in the previous film. Uh, Things are good. They're not great. They've kind of stagnated in in some different areas, Peter and Gamora being one, Rocket still being a, a jerk, being the other. And uh, it's, it's all changed when a, a little man riding on top of a spaceship shows up after uh, they're shot at by the Sovereign in their little video game pods, which I thought was a, was a great flourish. They, they send the drones out, but they, they sit in
0: an arcade. Indeed, the uh, the little man riding the pod. It might feel like deus ex machina. Pete, it literally is a god <laughs> coming out of a machine. So you get to do that. I'll, 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 I'll tip my hat there to you, uh, Mr. Gunn. Um, also, a really, really compelling visual because uh, ego is kept so tiny that you really don't get much beyond just the, the silhouette of him waving. Um, and... Uh, soon enough though they they have uh crash landed and uh, pete it hurt it hurt to see the milano not just crash like that but when the one wing comes down i don't know that that just hurt extra how many how many ships need to be destroyed (laughs) on screen in the last year pete there's this there's the enterprise uh it it hurts but that that certainly adds uh, a level of investment so when that uh that white pod does come down there's, uh, there's mysteries abounding and we get to see Kurt Russell as the, uh, the human form of ego as well as the, uh, the addition of Mantis.
1: I have to say, uh, you know, seeing the returning characters again and, and watching their development is a delight. But what an excellent addition Palm Clemente's uh, Mantis is. The effect of the eyes, the soothing voice – the abilities and i'll i'll tip my hat back to your direction matt is it is it beyond coincidental and uh you know bordering on contrived for the plot that one of the things she's kept around for ego is to put him to sleep which Chekhov's somnia later in the uh climactic scene she's able to touch the planet and and stave him off at a, at a critical moment it is but it's the character development that the empathic abilities bring about particularly with drax uh that i think make it all worthwhile but she's an excellent addition I think she's her her character is uh, in Infinity War. I think uh, she's going to be very very popular moving forward.
0: Absolutely, and she's a character that holds the uh, the credit in in the comic books end of things. That uh, perhaps not by name, but she is a character was carried from Marvel. To uh to DC by writer Steve Englehart uh before and indeed through some other companies uh continuing her her story there in a in a sly way not quite the um not with the the bit of trickery that I think that was done with Howard the Duck where like secretly Howard the Duck Prime was killed off and it, it was without that kind of trickery but certainly a character with some history and um an actress who brings an earnestness to the character uh really really a wonderful addition and uh pete in my in my spoiler for free bubble i'm glad to hear that she'll be back for uh for uh, further adventures
1: i mean the other thing that really uh comes out and it's even stated by the character in the film she's socially awkward she's only ever spent time around ego there's a there's a lando twist Esque piece to her in that she knows what's going to happen with ego, and she stops short of warning Drax at one point, which Gamora overhears. Um, but this is a character that's already being held up uh, by viewers, uh, as somebody who's identifiable. You know, look, I, I don't come out of my shell easily. Here's this character who runs into our you know ragtag group, and she fits right in and they accept her for who she are who she is all except drasks who i love the the banter there you know you're you're uh you're beautiful on the inside
0: (laughs) well pete the uh the growth of the cast here is not uh limited just to her we of course uh return to the ravagers a really really great visual reintroduction uh to yondu and and Pete, I don't, I don't mean to sound mean-spirited, but here, uh, uh, James Gunn, the visuals are so compelling. He, I, in my book, he's a much better uh, visual director than, than writer, uh, or I guess just a better director than a writer. Um, the notion that they're having a good old time at a good old place with good old girls, <laughs> some of which might or, may or may not be robots, just him standing there clearly having, let's say, uh, sealed the deal not looking particularly uh, satisfied, not looking particularly uh, like this life is giving him much joy. Um, great reintroduction for the character and just a great character moment to say, maybe there is more than just uh, going out and ravaging.
1: And to move from Bearheart, where they have just crashed to this pleasure planet. You've got the ravagers outside, you know, uh, Charlie Browning the, the snow trying to catch it on their tongue. And then we have uh, this fallen uh, patriot moment with um, uh, Sly Stallone's character, uh, Stakar, where we get this development of Michael Rooker's Yondu that... Uh, he was one of them. Now they've exiled him, thinking all along, you know, he's in with the, the pirate life and the code. He broke some kind of code, and we're told it's child trafficking, Matt.
0: <gasps> Pete, that's that was the thing what introduced us to him from having taken uh, the young uh, Star-Lord from Earth and never delivering it to his father.
1: yeah. And by the time we're on Contraxia here, and that goes down, and we're having stirrings of mutiny already, Matt, uh, towards the end of that first act, where suddenly uh, we've got uh, Taserface and even the devoted Craglin, played by uh, Sean Gunn, by um, James's brother, starting to question their captain before Aisha shows up in a in a rather comic reintroduction
0: yeah this notion that uh for what at first appears to be a fairly uh uh, close distance she is having her two uh handmaidens for lack of a better word roll out the uh roll out the carpet for her uh, and then it gets stuck and there's It's not just a funny moment. It's kind of poking fun towards some of the pomp and circumstance that they value so much. Particularly, I mean, Pete, they're standing outside the house of robot ill repute. (laughs) You know this notion. Robo repute. Robo, yeah. (laughs) Um, This notion that somehow it's better to, uh, you know, to to not have your feet touch the ground in such a place. You know, it's kind of kind of all part of the silliness of it. Um, But sure enough, she is there. She's there to uh, to hire some ravagers in order to uh to get back those batteries
1: yeah money is clearly not an issue for the sovereign uh their intentions are pretty straightforward um and the idea that they feel they've been embarrassed they want to get this back which again you know pushes our plot forward we have motivation now by Yondu and uh his group in particular to uh head after our Guardians
0: and uh with that they do although uh quickly we have the the mutiny proper and uh it, because of how Yandu has been reintroduced to us as somebody not particularly enjoying the space pirate life uh quickly we feel sympathetic for him uh there is uh added to the mix uh in what what, what could have been given more screen time we have tommy flanagan as uh Tulk, and uh pete i dare say the character here or at least the familiar face of tommy flanagan um exists largely to be familiar enough so when he gets thrown out the old space locker we feel the feels pete
1: We do. Um, Leading up to that scene where we have um, Rocket and uh, Baby Groot and Nebula uh, left behind um, from the rest of our Guardians who have headed to Ego's planet, uh, love the conceit of all right, uh, Rocket wants some of uh, Peter's music left behind, which you know the the group has kind of taken on now. Um, in this second volume, it's it's not just a a uh, Star Lord situation, and uh, that he's humming along in a tree, and you know these various booby traps that he set. Uh, in particular, the mines where the Ravagers get thrown up again, again, and again but ultimately yeah where we wind up with uh you know the people who are loyal to yondu being flushed out the air locker he's been shot in his little uh fin uh you know version 1.0 and uh things are are looking down and out
0: well pete the result of course of the mutiny uh Thank goodness we had some of those lesser characters. It's not just uh, it's not just talk. There's you know the other bodies that we see out there. Thank the goodness. other guys with the funny faces. <laughs> Indeed, uh, they paid the price, and uh, we we end up with uh, Yandu imprisoned and uh, certainly out of power. Pete, th- there even is uh, th- there even his is his uh, his former lieutenant there, who seems to have turned against him. There's there's no hope. Pete taser face has has risen. And uh oh, t- Taserface, Pete. It's a great name.
1: You you wake up in the morning and you call yourself Taserface? I mean, there, there there's great jokes. I, I think there's much more humor in this film uh inherently than the original. Um, but to to make Rocket and uh, Yondu share a cell. Yondu's down and out without the ability to summon his arrow. And baby Groot has been adopted as a mascot by these goofy pirates that Nebula is just having her way with. Um, that, that they're giving her quarter. That uh, they're going to give her 10%. That uh, Kraglin even hooks her up with a, um, a ship and is trying to make the small talk with her and there's no such thing for her and going into her entire motivation. I love the way too the Karen Gillian's character got fleshed out in this sequel. And I think if we get anything in terms of, uh, Gamora's plot line, it's largely through that of her sister.
0: Well, I am always happy to see Karen Gillen on screen and, uh, the expanded role here for nebula certainly very very welcome uh we also get some some augmentation no pun intended of her backstory a little bit of a better understanding of not just what drives her now which is the the notion of uh revenge uh against her sister um but also as her story progresses a bit of uh of or a better understanding, I should say, of the uh, biomechanical changes that were made to her in order to to have her try and best her sister through battle, and uh, she also, Pete, there's some there's some larger story service being done here. I'm not I'm not going to uh, going to fault the movie for it. The, this does have to fit into the the. Uh, Infinity War movies to come. Um, the notion that she she really wants revenge against Thanos. You got that? I'm not going to call him father. <laughs> I'm going to call him Thanos. I want all of you to understand that that big guy Thanos with the glove. He bad me in Avengers Infinity War and its untitled sequel. I will fight Thanos.
1: But it, it's compelling, and to hear this backstory, you know, we knew the 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 two uh adopted daughters were were rivals. But, you know, to see him on opposite sides in the in the first film after Gamora pulls the, the double agent situation is one thing to hear why they don't see eye to eye. And then to have that come around, I think dovetails very well with this uh, mutiny B plot um in that you know she she's a broken individual, and literally figuratively, the pieces yanked out of her by her adopted father every time she would lose replaced uh, wants to inflict that upon him, and when she ultimately gets with Gamora, okay, is is the shift suddenly a, a little quick? I I'd be a fool to argue that it's not, but it it works there's so many characters to service in this film. Um, She she gets enough of the development to move it forward. And I couldn't help but be moved based on how they went about it.
0: The character of Nebula was definitely underused in the first film. And it's made up for here. You really understand her motivations better. You understand why you should feel sympathetic for her better. Uh, even kind of the conclusion of her arc in this story where maybe, oh, maybe she has found a, a sister that she can coexist with. Uh, you feel for her there. And um, Pete, I'm sure none of that is clouded by my, my appreciation for Karen <laughs> Gillen. Um but it and really is. Scarlet sol- mane. Well,
1: uh, not in this film. though. <laughs>
0: that's true. Pete, she is lovely, hued in blue and purple and silver and black eyed, not, around the eye, mind you Um, just, you know, she, she's lovely in any, in any color, Pete.
1: Well, I think it's the two blue skin characters in this film that really reside at its soul. First, I had no expectations. I knew she had a larger role, but I had no expectations of her getting the kind of arc that she did in this film. And then with Yondu, you know behind the scenes stuck in the the prison there the the promise of the premise with uh baby groot trying to get him to break them out uh we need you to get the fin you know the prototype fin out of the drawer in the captain's uh you know quarters sure no problem the number of things he brings back the severed toe the desk etc it's it's goofy it wouldn't work in any other Marvel cinematic property here. You suspend the disbelief and just laugh along with it. Uh, he's so gosh darn cute in that little uniform he's wearing. Um, and then the the breakout sequence with uh, come a little bit closer just works so perfectly, culminating in wrecking his own ship and getting away with Kraglin, Groot and, and Rocket it's just really really good visual storytelling
0: thank goodness whoever wrote this movie handed the director a slightly easier task of having a whole middle third of the movie where your two cg characters uh get to be in a in a set location a slightly more manageable location along with the director's longtime friend michael rooker and wait a minute, digitally doubled, or at least on set doubled, by the director's brother. So, Pete, I bet they did. <laughs> my slight sarcasm aside, because I understand that there are inherent problems with, let's do two movies in a row. Let's do a movie where they have the team tum- come together. Let's do another movie where it's the team together the entire time. I understand that there's story risks to that. Uh, heck, they don't do that in Empire Strikes Back for a reason, because you've had the whole gang together. Already, there's kind of not much more you can do until the story requires to really bring them all together. But I digress. Pete, I guarantee you these scenes were the first ones shot to give a, a a head start for the effects work to go on and to sit and do a fairly simple enough uh, set. You know, there's not tons and tons of complex uh, camera tricks and things of that sort. To have Rooker, longtime friend of, of James Gunn, to have his, Shawn, his brother Sean uh, doubling, um, I think was probably a nice way to ease into the making of this movie.
1: Yeah, and I think it yields the most fun part in the middle of the film. The stuff back on Ego's Planet is emotional and expository from everything – to the kind of like weird museum aspect of here's my development in meeting your mom complete with, you know, wax looking models of everything. And here's you in the womb to uh, the, the revelation uh, that he put the tumor in Meredith Quill's head and how that all comes around. That's the more angsty stuff, which. You need, but nowhere near as fun as all the other pirate stuff.
0: Um, certainly agree, there. And since since we're headed towards uh, Ego's plan, Ego's planet, uh, certainly a lovely place. You know, absolutely gorgeously rendered. I thought initially, like, oh, I'm I'm picking up whiffs of uh, whiffs of Asgard here. No, it's just a fantastic otherworldly place with a kind of vaguely pyramidic or or uh, triangular shape to you know like not for nothing the biggest building there of course is going to be higher and somewhat somewhat triangular compared to the rest of the landscape um, even even though I think the movie in my opinion spent too long getting to the dad is bad reveal um, certainly this portion where they're in the uh, the museum part of his lair. Um, there's a because they kind of were doing these these waxen versions of the past there's a slight creepiness to it that doesn't bubble to the surface but sticks in the back of your head until there's the reveal later on that dad is bad
1: yeah that they've found once Nebula arrives and um, she and Gamora have and play through that conflict and find all of the bones they find the remains of all the other children that the, the DNA didn't take and it becomes, well, what's what's the upshot of his plan? And again, that reveal that he would uh, kill his uh, the, the mother of his child. And, uh, you know, it's it's all to turn Peter into a battery. It's to extract the energy out of another celestial. Um, you know, the the other piece in that uh, that James Gunn article I, I cited earlier um He grew up in Missouri, and, uh, you know, I I think so much of this is is biographical from uh, Rocket being a a character that uh, he feels the the closest to as a person to throwing the ball around here with dad. It it, it being the ball of light, Matt, and then when you find out the the ball of light that you made with your dad is going to cost – Uh, every planet that he uh planted a a goofy little plant on, uh, back in the prologue of this movie, literally, guardians of the galaxy here, there's super huge uh stakes in terms of what goes on intergalactically.
0: There is, and though I felt they, I felt this portion was a tad slow, I wish the dad good times with dad montage maybe went a bit uh a a bit faster nonetheless um and i'm not well nonetheless i kind of knew he was going to take a bad turn at some point because not for nothing you got no other villainous options and pete it's 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 a tale as ancient of any of them that you know for the son overthrowing the father for good or for ill um pete you you got you to gotta get the person who won't let you go to Tashi Station out of the way one way or another <laughs> if you're going to be able to leave this place and have nothing here, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well,
1: the daddy issues, again, you know, we've, we've referenced – I, I want to be clear. This is not the Empire Strikes Back. Um, it's, it's just not. Uh, but to bring those types of issues, and they had been very uh, open that uh, – they would be revealing, uh, Peter's, uh, lineage as his, his father in this film that they took the added step of going out of the way and saying, okay, um, here is, uh, you know, uh, ego and he's being played by, um, Kurt Russell and he's, he's going to be the father there, not revealing the the villainous tilt, um, but to to do that and and now you've got to make the compelling story of motivation why why did he not hang around the sun why uh why is he back in the picture everything like that i would agree it's it's the slower part of the film but once it comes around it's the payoff for peter and all the other characters in light of his uh dastardly aspirations
0: and though i was feeling a bit jaded towards the writing at this point um you know Pete surprise surprise here unlike the planet ego I am not everyone and I am not everything um when there was the reveal which, which was ever so slightly telegraphed in the performance but but that's all in good fun when there's a the reveal that you know you know I gave your mom the cancer I mean there were audible gasps in yes. the audience I, as he was starting to form the words I think that's when it was you know in my mind here's the turn what could the turn be it's that i killed mom but i mean look we're all here to have an entertaining time at the movies that that was not the people are rooting for you know mothers having brain cancer but in so far as we're looking for the chills the thrills um the audience we saw it with was there were there were people aghast at it
1: yeah you know peter says it best i i really wish you hadn't killed my mother and broken my walkman And, uh, how about add our hearts into that? It would be one thing if he had just left the mom for him to have, I I thought they were going to spin it in a way like, you know, I'm made of light. She spent a lot of time around me. I impregnated her with half a light baby. She got radiation and, and that that's what it was. It's sad that I couldn't go back and be with your mother. Give the tragic end there. No, it's an intentional act. Uh, which comes across particularly calculating and shilling in light of in light of the overall character's goal.
0: Well, Pete, last but certainly not least, as we uh, as we cover some of the uh, the kaleidoscope of the film, Pete, other Pete, Peter Quill, he has two dads. Okay, one is Ego, one is Yondu. And that kind of crossroad there is summarized by somebody who I grew up certainly idolizing or at least a a character of, of whose I grew up idolizing. And that of course, Pete is the Hoff David Hasselhoff himself.
1: Yeah. To get him not only in the film, but on the soundtrack uh, I think is a, is a stroke of genius. And is it, telly for Peter to say you know what once everything happens which we'll cover in a little bit that you know I I watched David Hasselhoff on TV with Knight Rider and uh you know I wanted to be like him I I told kids he was my uh my dad when I didn't have one and everything like that and to come to the realization that he had a father figure with everything that went on in his life, pretty much like David Hasselhoff, just uh, a different hue.
0: Well, well said, Pete. And uh, it certainly was a uh, it was a moment of humor and a moment of uh, I don't know, Pete. I I just have to say, seeing Hasselhoff dressed as Michael Knight, as <laughs> you know, playing Hasselhoff slash the villain of the film, it was a really really nice moment.
1: Yeah, from Gamora screwing up his name. She calls him Zardu Hasselfrau, which is then used to great delight in the Guardian's Inferno track, which he uh sings on. Uh because of course we we touch upon his uh his popularity in, in Germany with his uh band and everything there. I wonder how that's playing there. We'll have to hear from some of our, our German listeners. Um but yeah, it's it's a it's a quick but welcome uh, cameo and plays surprisingly well with the uh, the father theme that's going on here.
0: Well, Pete, we we have this conflict of a sorts between the the two fathers between ego and yandu. and of course, uh, as with many things, you have to you have to have that uh, price paid, the pound of flesh. Yondu uh, is sacrificing his life for things, and a uh, really visually interesting, visually delightful, uh, and, uh, also poignant story moment when we have the, uh, the ravager funeral there.
1: Yeah. I was surprised how emotionally that played. Um, first I, I wasn't sure they would kill, uh, Rooker's character off. I mean, he, he, he doesn't drive the story so much in, in either of these films and he's, you know, Michael Rooker is a great guy, but let's be honest, he is not a draw in terms of, you know, top billing. So, uh, you know, you you go back and forth as to whether or not he's somebody they could sacrifice. But the story reasons that they do it here to save his uh, ad- adopted son, who he actually saved twice from uh, ego, not turning him over there. There's a. There's a little bit of a script tick, Matt, earlier in that both uh, Peter and um, Yondu give the exact same response to why he wasn't turned over to Ego, that uh, he could he could get into tight places and and do the thieving. And that's what he told his uh, crew as well. But he developed a bond with this child and for Peter to realize very late in his adoptive father's life that uh, he's everybody he wants to emulate uh, in the way he went around and to have this larger story with these other ravagers, with uh, Stallone Sicar, with uh, Ving Rames with Michelle Yao Matt gets to play yet another captain of a starship before she's played a captain of another starship in a different universe um, and which we, I'm sure will be talking,
0: coming out any day now <laughs> <laughs>
1: talking of course about Star Trek Discovery which we also podcast but uh, and and we even throw in there Matt the the voice of Miley Cyrus but, you know, with 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 Kraglin, uh, you know, feeling for this loss too. The, the color palette of the the incinerator there with the rainbow and and for the remains to go out to form the arrow and all of the uh, fireworks. This set against the the loving tribute of the the Cat Stevens song, Father and Son, and uh, the image for me of, you know, the, the fireworks going off and, uh, baby Groot sharing the, um, the earbuds with Peter, I I'm choked up about it thinking about it now. And I've seen the film twice already.
0: It definitely, it, it it is a movie despite its, uh, its, its flaws. Uh, it, it is a movie that does not hold back some emotional moments that's always appreciated i think that we have a a wandering narrative at points in the middle third but it does ultimately come back around to these characters and exploring their experiences and their characters that you know from the first one and their characters that you can continue to get behind in this one
1: the dossier a detailed look at our bad guys, Matt. We will begin with the interdimensional beast.
0: Yeah. If you're gonna set things up with a with a I mean, it's not pre-credit. Oh, it is kind of pre-credits, but if you're gonna do the James Bond pre-credit razzmatazz thing, um it's great to do it with a big giant monster with all sorts of tentacles and teeth and and whatnot. It's a it's a fun bit of business, and um, you know certainly the the image of Drax jumping into it, only to then have explained to the audience the logic that the skin is the same thickness on both sides. <laughs> um, to then you know it's with a bit of intelligence and teamwork that uh, Star Lord and Gamora take out the beast. And uh, the the great gooey reveal of, of Drax declaring himself successful—it's it's a fun way to start the movie off.
1: It's a good early threat. Uh, it, it's appropriately slimy. And uh, what what I got uh, you know second most after watching uh, Baby Groot uh, dance across my credit sequence was just seeing the pounding that our team is taking. You know, uh, Pratt is. Is suddenly there shaking his head. Rocket comes over and, and removes uh, a bug out of Baby Groot's mouth as they're fighting this this beast. And I think it's more compelling than actually watching the the full on fight. So it's it's what it needed to be, but uh, in no way the star of the show.
0: Uh, we then in our in our rogues gallery here we move on to Aisha, who is the uh, the very public face of the sovereign people. And Pete, there's just something with those eyes. Yeah, they're gold, but uh, Elizabeth Debicki really just, I don't know, she captures a a slightly maniacal side to the character, which does not come to full fruition until the very end.
1: This is going to sound space racist, Matt, but I had a little bit of a hard time figuring out which gold woman was which at points (laughs) in the movie. You know, some of them had shorter hair, some of them had longer hair, Um, and it was a little confusing there because again, they're, they're playing seemingly perfect, um, you know, beings, the, uh, the, the men with the, the haircut, the, the wig, everything there. But I think it's with our, uh, post credit scene that we'll talk about in our, uh, level seven segment in a little bit that I think her character comes to fruition.
0: We, uh, (laughs) we can t- we move from that great female character to Nebula I still stand by the statement that ultimately mm-hmm. females are are underrepresented in this movie perhaps not by number but but in oomph uh, in the script but there are tons of compelling things that that make uh, up the character of sovereign ditto with Nebula we discussed much of that earlier to, to, to see her backstory, or at least to be told her backstory, is to understand her drive in this movie.
1: Yeah, I think in the first film, she's a character that by name we check, but by story and any kind of depth, we get next to nothing. They, they, they angry Boba Fetted her in the, in the first film. We're going to make her cool. She can fix herself, but we're going to put her in very little. And by the way, she screams almost all of her dialogue and the dialogue. She doesn't comes across uh, pretty cross nonetheless. But here to see her in captivity, and again as a way of communicating that it's it's been but months since the events of the original narrative, uh, that Gamora is going to turn her over to the the Zandarians to the to the Nova Corps, and uh, that she's still got this unresolved business with Gamora and with Thanos, and. For her to take off at the end of the film here, and to ultimately be redeemed, is obviously far more satisfying.
0: She also too represents, and, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a phrase, Pete. And I don't want people to think I'm being overly negative on the film. Some of her purpose, or at least some of her dialogue in this film, is kind of Iron Man two stuff. You know, it's to it's to set up trajectory, not for this plot or this movie. Um, but for future movies, they do it better here because you understand from where she is coming and thus where she is going. Um, to my mind, maybe name-checked Thanos as Thanos, not father, one too many times just to make it totally clear, but it's all it, it's all good, and Pete, it'll be great when we see Nebula in uh, Infinity War.
1: The Ravagers, Matt, and even uh, Taserface, Who he has to be what he is, an annoying, uh, a foil for uh, Rooker's Yondu and somebody that we get a lot of uh, jokes at his expense.
0: Yeah, I mean, a fun character, a two dimensional character meant to be a space pirate is a space pirate. Um, it's, it's the, con- the, the, fun, um, kind of comic book tongue in cheek stuff of this is a real character in Marvel comics. So we're going to, ha- you know, have fun with the ridiculousness of his name and, uh, you know, he serves, he serves that purpose well for the story as, you know, as, uh, somebody who's, who's preventing part of our team to meet up until later events.
1: Lastly, Matt, Ego the Living Planet, uh, probably not a real easy character to write for. Um, I look back at the two big villains of these first two Guardians movies, and that's why I feel as good as I do about these two movies. They're not driven by the supervillain, but driven by our character's um you know, ad- adventures and identities to where, you know, if it's not um, Ronan the Accuser, um, yeah, they they fit a bill. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure how much I really cared for Kurt Russell in this role. I got to wonder who else they, they put the call out for. Uh, not that he wasn't good, not that he wasn't what he needed to be, but it, it's not his film. Um, we maintain our interest in the guardians, anything that you're going to throw at them in their way. It's about the further development of this group and how they move through that. They don't have a Darth Vader. They don't have, um, you know, I mean, is Thanos even there? Thanos is going to be all of their problem, uh, with the infinity war and and the way that that's going to shake down. Um, so I'm, I'm fine with it. I wasn't overwhelmed with it. Uh, I'm, I'm not underwhelmed with it. it. It is what it is.
0: Well, you mentioned Kurt Russell as ego and it's interesting because I, I ultimately want to agree with you that I don't know what exactly it is that he brought to the role. And I'm not saying that he was wrong for it. I wonder if maybe it was kind of this this dream casting of ooh we we a we know what he looks like you know from youth so when we do the youth uh scene that that'll that'll be fun and uh he's he's played a rascal for the last 30 years so we know he can do the rascal but then pete as my 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 co-casting person we get to bring him back to Disney, you know, he, right. he was right. the teen doing the Disney movies and then he left and to play a rascal. Now we can have him be a rascal and a nice guy, the Disney movie. Was there some of that? Um, or I was mean, it,
1: listen, gun was of course, uh, you know, complimentary to both he and Stallone in terms of them being legends that he pretended to, to be in his backyard. And, and that's the, the proper tact to take. As far as the Hollywood glad handing, you know, for me, Russell is forever going to be, you know, the the character and The Thing. And, uh, you know, he's also going to be um, Jack from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. That's what I always see him as. And, yeah, it's cool to see him early on. Um, I guess it's not supposed to sit right for us seeing him. Uh, on Earth and, and everything uh, going on there with Meredith, given what we know is going to take place, that she's going to get cancer and die, and that he never saw his son before his reintroduction into Peter's story. Um, but, yeah, I got to wonder, too, was, was it a factor of, okay, you know, here, here are the, the three possible actors we can throw in this role, I, I just don't think it's a it's a part that uh you know really really screams huge villain because you've got to get the the twist of of the reveal and everything like that but at the same time he's got a, a really really dastardly agenda for the galaxy
0: well you mentioned Stallone and it made me wonder if maybe they got uh, Kurt Russell, because his—I don't want to say his star—because he's—he's—I mean, my goodness, Pete. One of his first movies was a black and white Elvis movie. Yeah. Um, but his—he's—he's he's re-entered uh, visibility with the the step one, step two use in the Fast and the Furious movies, where he has a smaller, mysterious part in Seven, so that he can play a larger role in Eight. Was it maybe? Adding to his own abilities as an actor, adding to some of the the happy Disney uh, casting, uh, was it maybe like, oh, he's you know, the kids know him from Fast and the Furious. they'll they'll let's let's get him for this. Conversely, um, I had wondered if perhaps like I felt like it was not worth bringing Sylvester Stallone into this movie for two film uh, for two scenes. Maybe they were trying to do a Fast and the Furious where you say, Hey, that's Stallone. He's only in two scenes. What's next? I can't wait for what's to come, which I can dig to a certain point. But you know, any time that we start to stray back to Iron Man Two territory, where the purpose of the plot is to set up another plot in another movie, that's not a good place to be. It should it should be organic. I think, for example, Pete of the end of uh, the end of Doctor Strange. I did not know that Mordo was going to be a bad guy at the end or that he, you know, that he in the comics goes on to become a bad guy. And that that probably is where you could have anticipated him being for a Dr. Strange too. to have him as the sidekick in Dr. Strange. um, Maybe sidekick is perhaps one step too low, but you know, to, to kind of have him as, as a supporting, a major supporting role. And then in the end, he's a bad guy and secret scene to be returning as a villain um, that seemed much more organic than, hey, we got one of the most famous actors for, of the last 40 years for two roles. He'll be back. For, for two scenes. For two scenes, yes.
1: Um, yeah, I agree. The, the wattage, um, d- despite the age at this point, for several of those actors that, that show up late as these other Ravagers, uh, Stallone, Ving Rhames, Michelle Yao. Michelle Yao is is going to be a, a big piece of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Ving Rames works constantly. Um, it seems disproportionate and you wonder how much of it is that deep cut marble. Hey, these are the original 1970s Guardians um, as opposed to the ones you're seeing largely from a later era to... Do they pop up elsewhere? Matt, we know there's going to be a lot of messing around in, in time with the Infinity Wars with with alternate timelines too. Maybe that's a little something to, uh, to dig into.
0: Yeah, but again, to me, it ultimately returns to if it's a cool thread that sets up another movie, then why are you including it in this one? If it's an organic thread, um, because... Uh, because Yandu has been called before the council of the, uh, the ravagers and, uh, chief ravager, <laughs> you know, where, where it, you know, point being, it's a role that feels like it needs some weight. I think for example of the, uh, I don't know whether it was the head of the CIA, but CIA boss in, uh, in true lies, you get Charlton Heston in there with an iPad. Right. Well, yeah, whoever again, I'll call him CIA chief. I don't know that that was his role uh in, specific as, you know, the head of the CIA, but you're going to have somebody who Pete, who's the top spy in all the in all the world if Arnold Schwarzenegger is a spy for for the United States, well Charlton Heston absolutely going to bring him bring him in for a scene or two. Yes, because it's the chief spy. It's the chief man. Um if you're gonna write it that way for Stallone, fine. To just have him be, hey, I'm a guy the way you're a guy. I'm just a slightly, you know, less less uh, classy, or you know, slightly more classy guy than you. And uh, see you in uh, future movies. That's, I gotta
1: say, yeah. I was distracted by his presence because I see Sylvester Stallone, I don't see a character. Um, so there was a little bit of that.
0: But, dip, but- him, dip him in some paint. And then that goes away. Then, then that goes away. Because honestly, the, the use of makeup in this movie, you know, where, where there's some bold choices and primary colors, side note, I'm not quite sure why they lightened Gamora. You know, she was kind of more of a Crayola green in the last movie, but fine, whatever. Between whether it's Gamora, whether it's Yondu uh, and some of the other, you know, more background aliens, if all of a sudden you go, it's Sylvester Stallone in orange, Pete, Putting him in orange makeup isn't going to be the same as the foundation that all actors wear to be ready for the camera. But all of a sudden, he's orange, and you go, ooh, exotic alien. He's still sitting 25 minutes in the makeup trailer, no more, no less. Um, and it would have made him more alien and not, hey, Pete, Rocky's looking pretty good. How old is he at this point? <laughs> 70, 71. All I got to do is lift weights and uh, and you know maybe add a little color to my hair and you know, take those
1: magic beans from take Australia those magic- before exactly. that last Rocky movie. Um, yeah, I, I just think it was a situation where they they bring him in and there's no way you're getting him to to put on the the full facial makeup. So you you stick him in exotic outfit with with glowy. Uh, you know, shoulder pads, and you you have him do the thing. Okay, he brings the gravitas. If there's anybody that Rooker's character would would have served and answered to, okay, he served Captain Stallone. Welcome to Level Seven. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. Let's begin with the stakes of this film though it is set in 2014 months after the events of the first we see the effects of ego's expansion sewn back in 1980 where in the woods behind a dairy queen in missouri certainly sounds (laughs) story-esque suddenly the blue blob starts in. And I've got to wonder why if this happened in 2014 and we've had Marvel TV on since 2013, um, how this has never come into play in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that there was this massive incident in Missouri.
0: Well, Pete, let me spin it the other way around, because first of all, obviously, the real world answer is. Because they scripted this like two years ago, yes. <laughs> and Marvel TV has taken a lot less of a lead from the MCU than it than it used to. Heck, Pete, how many how many shows are going to go the incident and just leave it at that? Um, four. <laughs> four. <laughs> Here, five. I think though, Com-
1: coming to be five.
0: <laughs> here's the in-universe answer: A small town in Missouri had a weird thing happen. Uh, maybe it's post, or not even maybe, perhaps it is somehow related to a post uh, incident thing. But I mean, my point being this you've had giant alien robots come through the sky and almost destroy a city, and you've had all these other events. You've had uh, another city under attack in Thor 2, so on and so on. You know. If look, if you want to Men in Black this stuff, you could say, "Oh, it was a uh, it was bubbling crude, it was uh, hard petroleum, it was lava." You also could just say, uh, "You know, we're living in this increasingly weird world." It was some kind of leftover space ray thing. My point being, though, deaths are implied, and and a whole portion of the town gets gobbled up. Is it that? Is it ultimately that different than? a massive fire took out much of downtown in a, in a in a small midwestern town um i think that you i mean again the circumstances are weird they live in a weirder world than we do i think at a certain point you go hey something weird happened in the small town all right well the county's going to start clean up on monday and uh you know there's the, the governor's declared it a disaster zone and uh we're, we're bringing in some temporary housing et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, we do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now live in a world where things like this are increasingly common, but it it seemed particularly coming from the hand of a celestial and that it happened in so many different planets. We see it take place on uh, Xandar as well. We see, you know, the the mother cradling the child, which, you know, the, the editing's a little off there. You know, she's She's uh, protecting the child, and it seemed like minutes went by before we finally realized she did not get swept up in the the current of whatever that expansion was, plasma, matter, light, what have you. Um, I'll be fine with it if, Matt, you know, by the time we're back on Earth with characters that would somehow be involved in it, that we could, you know, oh, wait these guys are from outer space. We identified a, a same quantum signature, uh, you know, as, as present with them back in 2014 and in what happened at Missouri.
0: <laughs> hey, uh- i am all for having those connections when the connections uh exist and pete speaking of connections we have teased at the very end the idea of adam that of adam warlock which i must admit i have not thought about that character since there was the possible connection to him and his pod uh in uh, in the collector's collection in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie not that they committed to that hard but uh certainly James Gunn interested in doing something with this character
1: yeah now that they bring him around mention him by name in the uh post-credits scene that Aisha is abandoning uh you know their their regular route and now she's going to create a a super being, someone who in the comics is instrumental in the Infinity War, uh, you know, storyline. Who has already been declared as uninvolved in that coming storyline. I gotta wonder how much of that is hedging their bets as well. But Matt, my question for you: There's a decidedly uh, yellow glowing um light coming from the top of the pod is that our final infinity gem
0: well we got to get a move on with those gems because uh insofar as uh spider-man homecoming is in the mcu but not necessarily there to do service for the mcu um we got to get all those gems lined up pete because i doubt we're going to have much of that storyline move forward in spider-man homecoming at which point, check my math, Pete. Then it's then it's Thor, and then next stop is Infinity War. No, or is there Black one in between? Panther. Black Panther. Yes, of course. Bottom line, though, Pete. The point being, we got to get some some movement here on on what stones we don't yet got, and uh, this might be one of them.
1: Who's Who's your uh, dream cast for uh, Adam?
0: Um. That's a good question. I would have to think about that. first of all, i'd have to I'd have to imagine everyone in Hollywood who's not currently under contract by Marvel, <laughs> uh, w- w- which is probably a bunch of unknowns at this point.
1: I'm gonna go with um, Zach Efron.
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Um, I guess time will tell because clearly they want to do something with that. Clearly, there's going to be uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three already been announced. Although, by the way, Pete, just want to point out: two days ago, the movie was on track for 150 to 170 million dollar opening. Now they're they're calling it more 120 to 140. So there might be a couple of mats out there saying it's good, but not good enough to see twice, or it's good. I look forward on home video or Netflix.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to going again already. Matt, Teenage Groot there, another tease in our post-credit sequence. They've been out again ahead of the Infinity War, that because of the time difference, that we're going to have a dramatically different Guardians group arrive to help out the Avengers are are we gonna stay with the with the teenage Groot? Or are we gonna get back to full on adult Groot? Just seems like too many possibilities beyond the. You got vines all over your room, and stop playing those dumb video games. Uh, from a, from a teenage uh, character.
0: It it is notable that uh, that Vin Diesel is credited as Baby Groot so it does make me think that maybe they are they are long-term delineating between groot and baby groot and you know what when they next show up the guardians you could have teenage groot here's maybe a flip side to that pete maybe you have adult groot in um in infinity war and then volume three you kind of go uh temple of doom actually a secret kind of quiet prequel where you dial him back you know you start with the aftermath of the infinity war boom one year earlier you know it doesn't need to be called a prequel because you know a guy named george kind of dirtied that as a concept (laughs) wow um but that could be a way to kind of delineate things where you sit and go well, essentially, you get the best of all worlds. You can get full-on adult Groot back for the next time you see them. And then when you see them, uh, them the Guardians, when you see them on their own, uh, you get to go back in time and get more of that sullen, I am Groot stuff.
1: I dig it. Uh, I also dig, Matt, that 15 movies into this cinematic universe now, uh, we can revisit stanley who's shown up in all of them and here he is quickly in one of the jump sequences talking to a bunch of uh guys who look like they came right out of the the cage episode of uh star trek the the original pilot uh and we return at the uh end credit sequence where they are walking away from him and he's got no ride back home
0: well, Pete, this is where we disagree a little bit. I recognize those bald-headed guys as as the Watchers, um, and given that they have that distinctive look, I, my read was not that Stanley was a Watcher, um, but but rather somehow was you know was relating things to them, um, if only just because he's not the same the same race as them uh, ultimately it's you know maybe it's the sort of thing that we shouldn't investigate too deeply because it's just an attempt to have some fun but uh I don't know Pete I don't I don't think Stanley is playing a watcher he's just hanging with him
1: he's 94 years old uh increasingly unfortunately Stanley is not able to make it to these comic cons he put in his last, ever appearance at New York Comic-Con, uh, last fall in 2016, what better way to acknowledge all of his cameos and they have filmed already the next several cameos. So, you know, knock on wood, um, that, that he's still with us, uh, past those and beyond, but heaven forbid this is a wonderful way to establish him. I believe as the watcher, you know, he's talking about how, and then I was a FedEx guy, you know, that was the, uh, civil war cameo, you know, Tony stank and all that, um, to, to show up in these movies as somebody that they have made look like a human to, uh, to go and watch and, you know, not supposed to interfere, but that's, of course, the, uh, the goal, uh, of that character. He ultimately does interfere
0: regardless. It's, it's super fun, uh, to see him in any of these cameos. I know I saw some article or some YouTube video that was like, uh, maybe it's time to retire the Stan Lee cameo. Uh, no, it's, it's a fun bit of business (laughs) and never, never do they, detract from the story. Absolutely. Um At the very least, you know, I mean, you don't need to know it's Stan Lee to to chuckle at the joke that Tony Stark is a really well-known guy and the FedEx guy doesn't know who he is. Okay, it's throwing egg on the face of Tony Stark. It, it'll, it, it works as it's, as, it's, as its own thing there. The fact that you sit and look for it and heck Pete, if nothing else, I know that in Fantastic Four... There's no Stan Lee cameo. Ooh. You know, there's there's a couple of movies where you go, there's no Stan Lee cameo. I mean Logan, which is in my mind is on the complete other side of things. Wonderful, wonderful movie. Um I don't think there's there's a Stan Lee cameo in there. No yeah.
1: um, I think he uh, I think maybe sometimes he uh, he has a say in what he's gonna sit out. But, um, you know, to, to get them here, to, to tie all of these together, I mean, 15 films, Matt, in this continued universe that started nine years ago now. Um, it, it's just a great testament to what this man played a massive role in helping to build.
0: Absolutely. Pete, that's it for some of the cameos, or is it?
1: Yeah, you have to know to look for it and even then i wasn't a hundred percent sure that's what we had but jeff goldblum does show up in the credit sequence not in a scene but dancing in a little bubble on the right side of the credits um so i i had to look into this matt i was initially gonna tweet at james gunn and ask you know cutting room floor or uh you know 80s homage and it it turns out you know they they just had him around nothing was shot past this and and they put him there
0: yeah it was fun and i mean it's a reminder that the the extraterrestrial version not version but the extraterrestrial portion of the mcu is of course one universe one galaxy etc um and it was it was a fun little it was a fun little uh, thing to catch, and not everything needs to be ultra ultra connected. All, the ultimate connection to to the overall Thanos story, which has been going on for all this time, and so on and so forth. It's it it's a fun little thing to catch. There, there's there's been a place for that too.
1: There's been some ballyhoo that you know why isn't he. Uh, a, a different color, you know, the hair's not white like his brother. Um, you know, the the color. Probably because Jeff
0: Goldblum was like, "I'll do your movie." I'll do your 8 a.m. set call. <laughs> I'm not getting to the makeup trailer before 7.30. You can put Jeff some
1: blue on my face, uh, and I'll chew the scenery. So, you know what? It's, it's Jeff Friggin Goldblum. So, we're going to go down for that. And, and you know what? He'll, he'll dance in front of a camera and you can throw it in front of your other movie, you know, one movie before the movie he shows up in.
0: Yeah. It, uh, it also occurs to me pete are you gonna hire jeff goldblum or stallone or any of these names so that you can't see them you're not you know to get to get miley cyrus who's a little bit of a controversial figure to to voice somebody okay i got no listen whatever my my concern might be for miley cyrus as a marginally sane human being <laughs> i got no she went she's gonna voice somebody i got no problem with that it's not going to bring up any of my Concerns about her mental state if she's voicing a character. Um, so she's perhaps better suited for the voice and these these other people, um you're there to see them. So let's see them.
1: Let's check the mailbag.
0: Pete sent to us all the way from the other galaxy of the Ingoland. Uh, we had a tweet from Ian Knight. He said, My thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. A lot of fun. Great set piece action. But ultimately not as original and special as it could have been. 8 out of 10.
1: I mean, listen. 80% is, uh, if we're, if we're going to grade out of 10 here, that that's a fairly high mark. So, still giving it, uh, you know, uh, good grade. Um, I, I'd score it a little higher than that. I'd go, you know... 85 86 87 88 uh still a still a great time at the theater one that i can't wait to revisit knowing where everything is now
0: uh i'd score it a little lower than that i i would agree with his uh with his words but not his number i'd maybe put it out of 70 um and i look forward to seeing it when it um n- not in the movies again which to me i saw it the once i had the fun i'll see it i'll see it in another form at home um but uh pete it has been fun nonetheless going back to the guardians of the galaxy and pete we of course have our own team keeping us uh up there in the stars and it is of course our patrons on patreon.com fantastic thank you one and all for uh for making the podcast fly Definitely
1: less uh, ragtag and rough around the edges, but no less impactful, Matt. So get yourself to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash Fantastic Geek. You get uh, exclusive podcast content at any level of contribution. And then there's people like the wonderful Mary Kirk who uh, come away with a lot more Uh, and uh, we love them all for it.
0: That we do. And of course, Pete, the best treat of all is being able to talk to you on Twitter. That's always a freebie. How can people do so?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R J K L R K E T E L A A R 9,231 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I am personally on Twitter, is looking back lost. You can be touched with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek, that is fantastic with the PH, fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at gmail.com, fantasticgeek on Instagram and Twitter as well. If you've been listening to the uh, Agents of Shield podcast, uh, we had our pal Jeremy from Australia uh, email an MP3. So we got the, uh, the, the voice memo there. Uh, also, you can call our listener line, Google Voice listener line, 732-707-1815. And uh, Pete, if that's not it, I heard there's one other way people can be in touch that's that's kind of like uh, on the fringes that some people use. What is it?
1: Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, all one word with the PH. Seems you're, you're either one or the other between that or Twitter, but we will embrace, we continue to embrace Both, So get on there. Become a friend of ours today.
0: Pete, we will be back talking this weekend uh, with more good Marvel goodness or perhaps even Star Trek goodness. We're going to be we we have on our radar to talk Star Trek Discovery, give a little update there, give an an update for Inhumans, give an update for uh, Defenders. And then, of course, more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the uh, in, in the coming days and weeks and hopefully months With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I didn't mean to do
1: a mutiny, but they killed all my friends.